Okay, Agunar Shabbos Rabbi Wonderful to see everyone. Parshas Bahaloischa. Parshas Bahaloischa is a beautiful parsha. 136 psukim. I would like to share with you some original ideas on the parsha. By the way, I'm going to put up the Marmachimus on the screen, but if anybody wants to see the sources themselves <coughs> or the source sheets, so then uh, you could subscribe and get it to your inbox every Arab Shabbos as well as the Wednesday night shear uh, will be sent to you on Wednesday and the Marmachimus from Monday will be sent as well. Uh, you go to office at, uh, you could send us a note to office at rabbidg.com. Also, they're posted at our, on our site, rabbidg.com. Okay, um, here's the first offering for today. Let me just post it here. Here we go. <clears throat> we know that on Rosh Hashanah we say 10 psukim of Malchiois, 10 of Zechroinois, and 10 of Shaifarais. You know, it's quite interesting. The psukim of Zechroinois, Every single Pasuk has the, the mention of the word Zikaroin in it, or Zechar, because they're Psukim of Zechreinos. Likewise, the Psukim of Shoifarois all talk about the Shoifar, or the Tekiah, or the Trua. But the Psukim of Malchios, while the first nine Psukim have the word Melech in it, the final Pasuk, Shema, does not have the word Melech. And it's somewhat surprising because the theme is supposed to be Malchios. All the other Pesukim have the word Melech, but the final Pesuk does not have the word Melech. Now obviously when you say Shema, you're Mechabel, the oil Malchus Shemayim. But I think we could explain even in a more compelling way. And what is the source for the Pesukim of Malchios, Zechrenes, and Shefaros? It's a Pesuk in the Swiss Parsha. Perak Yud, Pesuk Yud, where the Pesuk says, Rashi brings from here we learn now Malchios Zechrenus Vishifaris. Usikatem Shaifaris. Lizikaroin Zechroinois. Ani Hashem Alaikechem is Malchios. The source of Malchios is not the word Melech, is Ani Hashem Aleikechem. And therefore, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Achad, perfectly fulfills that which we learn out from the words Ani Hashem Aleikechem, because the Torah, the source itself doesn't say Melech, but rather the source itself says, um, the source itself says Ani Hashem Aleikechem. Then another Rashi struck me. Rashi in Parag Yod, Pasuk Yod Aleph, Rashi says, well, that's interesting. They encamped on the 20th day of Iyar. They left on the 20th day of Iyar. But wait a second. Says Rashi, we know they came to Sinai. Ba'achoydesh ha'shlishi, let's say, Sinai Yisrael, Me'eretz Mitzrayim, ba'yoyim ha'zeh, ba'umid bar Sinai. They came to Har Sinai, Rishchoydesh Sivan. They left almost a year later, the 20th day of Iyar. Says Rashi, that means they spent at Har Sinai a year minus 10 days. Now, how many days are in a lunar year? Somebody tell me. 
one of the tzaddikim chachamim on the shir. How many? Who knows? How many days in a lunar year? That's right, three hundred and fifty-four. But they spent ten days less than a lunar year. That means they spent three hundred and forty-four days at Sinai. Interesting. The number three hundred forty-four is very significant. We were supposed to be in Egypt four hundred thirty years. The intense labor that we did in Egypt was only 86 years. That means we left 344 years early. Shemad, the Tairas Chaim brings that whenever there are decrees by the government of persecution, it's called Shemad, Shin Mem Dalet, to make up for the 344 years that we left Egypt early. A way that we protect ourselves from those 344 years is by learning Pardes, Pshat, Remez, Jerush, and Said. The Gematria of Pardes, Pei is 80, Resh is 200, 280. Samach is 60, 340, Dalit is 4, 344. By learning Pardes, that helps extricate us from the 344 years we were supposed to be in Egypt. Perhaps the reason why we spent 344 days at Sinai is to somehow protect us from the 344 years that we left Mitzrayim early. Not bad, okay. Here's another thought. The episode of Kivrois Hata'ava, where they had lust, they had desire. You know, there's an idea that the activities and the actions of a nation in a certain location has influenced whatever takes place there. The episode of Kivrois Hatava took place, Rashi says, in Midbar Paran. Now, where is what is Midbar Paran? Who's always in Midbar Paran? Whose land is the desert of Paran? Midbar Paran is the land of Yishmael. We know that Yishmael's Midah is the Midah of Taiva, desire. Like Chazal tell us that out of nine, ten measures of erva, a promiscuity came down to the world and the Arabs took nine of them. We know Yishmael is always associated with Mayim in the Chumash. He's always by the Mayim because Mayim represents, uh, Mayim represents Taiva. So we could say that the episode of Kibrais Hatava took place in Midbar Paran because the, the Klaiso were influenced by being in the sphere of Yishmael. Okay. Perak Yud, Pasuk Lamed. Vayoymer Elav, Yisroi said, Loy Elech, I'm not going to go, Kiyam El I'm going to go back to my land, Ve'el Mayladati. I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. So Moshe says, Vayoymer, I'll know Ta'azoi Vaisanu. Please don't leave us. Ki al kin yadata chanoisena ba midbar. You know our encampment in the midbar. Vihayisa lanula enayim. You could be like eyes for us. So I have the following question. I wasn't sure whether to put this in the imponderables or in the insights. I think it's a, a compelling insight. Rashi says that when Moshe asks Yisrael, don't leave us, Rashi says, no is the Lashon of Bakasha. Please, Moshe says, I don't want anyone to say that you did not convert out of love. Because if people are going to see you go back, you know what they're going to say about you? They're going to say, you 
were not interested in Judaism for the right reasons. You just wanted to join them to inherit land in the land of Israel. And then when they told you you weren't going to get land in Israel because you're a convert, you left them. So therefore, please do not leave us. But here's my question. Why is Rashi saying that's the motivation of why Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Yisrael not to leave us? Because I don't want anyone to accuse you of having ulterior motives. But the Pasuk goes on to explain that Moshe gave a different reason. Rashi says, It is pleasant for you to do this. Because you know our encampment in the Midbar. And you saw the miracles. This is a different reason. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling us, right? You should come with us because you're familiar with our ways and you could be an Einayim. You could be our watch out. You could be our, an objective opinion. So maybe that's the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu begged Yisrael not to leave them. How does Rashi know that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu begged Yisrael not to leave is because he was afraid that people would accuse Yisrael of having ulterior motives? Maybe the reason Moshe Rabbeinu begged Yisrael not to leave is for the very reason that Rashi goes on to say that you're familiar with our ways and you could be an objective opinion to us. And I would say very simply... Because if Na is a Lashon of Bakasha, he's begging. The reason provided later in the Pasuk, Rashi says, Ki It is pleasant for you to do this, namely to go with us and be an objective opinion. Rashi is saying this second reason is not, is not critical. It's just a, a pleasantry. It's a reason why it would be nice for you to come with us. But that would not supply, supply enough of a rationale why Moshe Rabbeinu begged Yisrael. The, meaning, the reason mentioned in the Pasuk of Ki Alkin Yadata Chanusin Bamidbar, Rashi interprets this as Kinoelacha. That's pleasant. But there must be a more compelling reason, and that's why Moshe begged. And that compelling reason is Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want Yisrael to be accused of converting for ulterior motives. Okay. You ready, everybody? Everyone fasten your seatbelt. This is the Chiddush of the, of the week. Everyone excited? Okay. You know, um, we're gonna, we're gonna make, uh, we're gonna pull everybody out of their, uh, screen. We're gonna make everybody make an appearance here. Okay, you ready for this? This is, uh, the Chiddush of the week. Rash, on the Pasuk, that the Slav was going to come down. Okay, well, well, okay, before we get there. Perak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Vayihi Ha'am Kemesayninim. Rashi says a very important rule. That when it says Ha'am, the nation, that refers to the wicked. Like the Pasuk says, Ma'eseh Lo'am Hazah. But when Klaisol, our Kesherim, were called Ami, like it says, Shalach Ami, Ami Me'asisi Lecha. Accordingly, we can explain a very difficult Pasuk in the Nevi'im. The Pasuk says, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Yoimar, Eloi Kechem. 
and many Mepharshim, Rabbi Yonis and Ibishitz is troubled. God says, console, console, but what's the consolation? No consolation is offered. What is the consolation? But according to Rashi, we could say the consolation is the one word, Ami. Rashi says, Ami means we are Kesherim. The fact that even though Hashem destroyed the temple, and He chased us out of Eretz Yisrael, but He still refers to us not as Ha'am, but Ami, that itself is a form of consolation. Okay, next. Yod Aleph Tezvav. Moshe Rabbeinu is asked to gather the Zikainim. Rashi is bothered. What do you mean the Zikainim? What happened to the Zikainim who were in Mitzrayim? Says Rashi, a chidosh, they died. B'tavera. They died. They died in Kivrei Satava. Says Rashi, really they should have been killed at Sinai. However, Hashem didn't want to spoil Matantar with Avelos, so Hashem paid them back now. So the question is, why did Hashem pay them back now? Why didn't Hashem pay them back, I don't know, by the Chet Ho'egel? Why didn't Hashem pay them back a different time? What would the connection be between the sin that they gazed at God at Sinai and the sin of Ayhi Ha'am Kemesayninim by Kivrois Hata'ava? I would venture to say that the reason why Hashem paid them back now is because the sin of Kivrois Hata'ava was a very similar sin to what the Zakanim did at Sinai. Rashi says, what did the Zakanim do at Har Sinai? Shenoagu Kalos Roish. Like biting their bread and speaking before the king. At Harsinai, it says they ate and they drank. They didn't actually eat and they, they didn't actually drink, but they were noye kalos roish. They acted lightheaded. So it was like they ate and drank. So since their sin was analogous to eating and drinking, Therefore, they were paid back dafka now, not by the Maraglim, not by other sins, that the, the, not by the Iraq, but by a similar sin. The similar sin was, they were vayoichlu vayishtu. Again, that's not literal, but it's viewed as eating and drinking, so they were dafka paid back by the sin of the Achila by Kibrei Satava. Okay. This is a chedosh I did not see anywhere. Um, and I think it's uh, very interesting. Perakir Aleph Pasukir Tess. The Pasuk says, you know how long you're going to have this love for? Not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days, a month. You know, I thought there were no extra words in the Torah. What is this whole lengthy, not one, not two, not five, not ten, not twenty. I mean, every speaker knows sometimes they have to be dramatic, but you, you know, this is a little bit overkill. Not one, not two, not five, not ten, not one. Why didn't it say not seventeen and a half also? You know, it should say not one day, thirty days. What are we adding by five, ten, twenty? What what is that? Rashi says something interesting. Rashi says. The Kesherim died after 30 days. The Rishon died immediately. Basar Oideno Ben Shinehem. Ah. 
So it comes out that the, the tzaddikim died after 30 days. The Risham died immediately. I would venture to say, and what about a Benini? And what about an in-between guy? And what, what about a guy who was, you know, mostly bad? What about a guy who was mostly good? So I would venture to say these different times, not one, not five, not ten, were different levels of punishment depending on what level you were on. This is not just a figure of speech. The Torah is not writing details for drama. Each each number had a significance in terms of their punishment. Then we see a very uh, interesting aside. And that is... Doing mitzvahs could be very dangerous. What? How could doing mitzvahs be dangerous? Yeah. Learning Torah could be very dangerous. How could, well, how could that be? And you know what could even be more dangerous? Chumrais. Chumrais could be the most dangerous practice that a Jew could engage in. What? What, what kind of idea is that? Yeah, let me explain. Parakyanal of Pasukhaf. You know why I'm killing you? I'm killing you? Because you despise God who is with you. Says Rashi, Yes, Hashem, Akirachem, Imloi Shenatati Shchinasi Beinechem. Had I not planted my Shchina among you, like Gav Alavavchem, you never would have been arrogant. Likane Sachadvam Halalu, to want all these things, to want the meat. You know why you wanted meat? Because you were on too high of a Madrega. What? Yeah. Hashem says, you know why you had such a big taiva? Because you had so much ruchnias. You had so much ruchnias. Therefore, you were so arrogant. And you had so much taiva. We see a very big aside over here. We see that sometimes ruchnias could produce arrogance. And a person... As they climb in Ruchnius, always has to be on guard that their spiritual achievements is not making them arrogant. See, the thing is that when a person learns, they have expansiveness of heart. And then instead of... Yeah, that's right. Learn to with a cell phone on. Very dangerous. Yep, I agree. But... Um, Sometimes spiritual achievements inflate the heart and then instead of wanting more ruchnias, you channel that for for taiva for oilam hazah. This is a very common phenomenon. And a person always has to be on guard. By the way, Chazal say this explicitly. Umi midbar matana. If a person makes themselves ownerless like a midbar, God will gift you taira as a gift. Umimatana bamais. But once you got Torah as a gift, you're in danger of becoming arrogant and then God will knock a person down. So a person always has to be on guard. That spiritual elevation is actually, is, is, um, could be dangerous. The Gemara tells us a, a story about one of the Tanoim who just here it is. 
mit seinem Mesechte Tainis an Daf Chaf. Meister Shaba Rabbi Elazar ben Rabbi Shimon, mi Migdal Gedar, mi Beis Rabbi, vay Yerachav al Hamar, um Metayal al Svas Nahar, v'samach Simcha Gedoyla. He was coming from his Rabbi's house, and he was very happy. And he became arrogant. Because he learned a lot of Torah. Don't think by doing mitzvahs, oh, I'm protected. Sometimes you have to be extra on guard once you've spent more time learning and davening and serving Hashem. So you have to be extra careful. In fact, the Shlach Kadosh writes, Almost every sin of the Jewish people occurred after they just achieved the greatest madregos in Ruchnias. The most dangerous time to be prone to Yetzirahara is when a person has spiritual elevation. The Chet HaEgel came right after Matan Taira. The Chet of the Mesoinanim came right after the Degolem. Hashem gave us the Degolem. The Shloss says, Every great sin of the Jewish people came in the immediate aftermath of great spiritual achievement. And therefore, a person always has to be on guard. You're feeling good about your ruchnias? That's the time to focus on humility. And therefore, especially when a person is not actually elevated in ruchnias, he just is convincing himself as, Oh, I don't think my uh, religious garb is religious enough. I want to look more from... Okay, there's something to be said for that. It will keep you away from the Goyim. It will keep you modest. But on the other hand, since it's not intrinsic avoidas Hashem, and it's going to make you think that perhaps you're on a certain level when it's only a costume, then it's dangerous. That was the sheet of Slabotka to de-emphasize Chitzoniyos because of the danger of, of uh, Gaiva. Because we see there's a danger of gaiva even by authentic ruchniyas. Or the more so when it's not genuine. Obviously, this it's a very sophisticated and fine line. Because sometimes a person does have to do things. And does have to take external measures to keep away from the nations of the world. But on the other hand, the person has to be extra on guard that it doesn't bring to gaiva. And finally, just a thought... There's a very interesting uh, observation in the beginning of the parsha. Why the Levim had to shave all the hair off their body? By the way, some learn that's what Kairach's problem with Moshe was. Like, you know, Moshe just had Kairach shaved bald like an eagle. And it was pretty embarrassing to Kairach. Kairach didn't like that. Rashi says, why were the Levim shaved? Because they were mechaper for the Bechayrim. And the Bechayrim sinned by the Egel. And this, and they worshipped idols. And worship of idol is like Mesim. And Mitzoyroyim are like they're dead. That's how the Parsha begins. And a Mitzoyro is shaved. And therefore the Levi also is treated like a Mitzoyro. It's interesting then that the Parsha then begins and ends with the subject of the Mitzrayah. Namely, it begins that the Levium were shorn in like a Mitzrayah, and it ends with the Tsaras of Miriam. Now, I've never seen 
and I, I would really like to delve into this further. You know, does a parsha, does every parsha have to have a, a specific theme? In other words, all, do all the subjects in one parsha have to be connected? Do, does it have to open similar to the way it closed? Like in a bracha, we say it's, it's, it, it ends off similar to the way it begins. But we do find in this week's parsha that it ends off with the subject of tzaras, similar to the way it began, with the Leviim being shorn like uh, Mesim. Okay, so that is Parshas um, Bahaloischa, and now your favorite part of the week.